0: a strong lead and her over-enthusiastic partner, hacked bank accounts, an iPod touch and foreign accents, chance encounters, broken bones and Tinder accounts. Those are the hallmarks of every great international spy thriller dating back to the dawn of time and all part of the story of today's guests.
1: However, at the heart of the story of mystery and intrigue is a simple premise, a new perspective, The duo behind Crust are simply thinking about sport differently, and it shows in their designs, in their avid followers, and in the way they go about running their business. This week on Thereabouts Outspoken.
0: Anyway, you guys got a lot of grip. Howdy, howdy, howdy sports fans. Welcome to another episode of Thereabouts Outspoken. My name is Angus Morton, and today, as always, I am joined by Isaac Carson. G'day, mate.
1: Hello. Yes, I'm here. As usual, I've only missed one episode. Um, Lost on the side of the road, but today I'm back. And we are back, the Thereabouts Outspoken podcast. It has been some time since we last have been in touch with you all. And we just want to say that we've missed you and we are back and that we hope you missed us a little bit too.
0: The protagonist for today's story is an unlikely one. Cut from the same cloth as the convicts and cast from the salty shores of Australia to the land of opportunity. It has all the hallmarks of a classic underdog novel.
1: A plumber by trade and an avid BMXer, it wasn't until a hacked bank account while on a surf trip in Mexico that Matt even rode a big bike for the first time. And even then, on a long, Ian, and even then on that long ride from Mexico City to Austin, Texas, crust was still but a twinkle in Matt's eye.
0: Enter an iPod Touch. Yes an iPod touch, a trip to Peru, and Cheech, and the rest is history. Knowing basically none of this, we sat down with Cheech and Matt, who until very recently were literally the duo behind the burgeoning bike brand, Crust, to dig a little deeper into the story of a couple of folks just trying to make a crust. G'day and welcome to the show. Cheech, lovely to meet you, and Matt, you salty dog. Um, it's it is always a pleasure. Great
2: to see you as well.
0: You two, husband and wife, how did you meet?
2: Um, we met a couple different ways. I guess we're we're meant to be. I think uh, we met at a birthday party of a mutual friend when we were both happened to be in New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, but. Um, We were both traveling at the time and, you know, we met at the party, wasn't really into him. People were dropping hints. They were like, he's into you. And I was like, "Nah, I think I'm okay. Uh, Found him on Tinder, looked at it and I was like, this is the guy from the party. I'm not going to swipe, right? Because I'm embarrassed. So I put the phone down. I was like, it'll refresh itself tomorrow morning. Picked it up. He's still there. So I just went went ahead and swiped right, and instant match. We went on a date, and then we started living together on the second date, and we've been together ever since. So,
3: I swooned her. (laughs) I'm a digital don Juan.
0: Technology, technology, super like the power of the super like. Cheech, how did you get into cycling? How did you get into bikes? Matt,
2: I had no interest in bicycles before him yeah we and you when we met in new jersey we were living at a friend's house together and i didn't have a car so matt helped me pick out like my first adult bike which was a second hand and he fixed it up for me and really have been like trying to avoid being on a bike for like the beginning of our relationship wanted nothing to do with it and then when matt broke his ankle a couple of years ago. Um I had to help him out with crust and then I got to meet people like noms who has opened up this kind of like little pocket of the cycling community. Um so it's been like a really social aspect of my life, so that's why I continue to ride bikes. Um but I'm enjoying it way more now.
0: <laughs> and how about you? How about you, Matt? How did you come to be uh Involved in bikes. How'd you get on a bike?
3: Uh I guess like any kid in Australia, you just ride a bike. And then I um I got into BMX when I was uh I think I was thirteen or something. Um just because uh it was fun. And then from there I just wrote that basically from that point on consumed my life until I was probably uh I don't know thirty maybe um or maybe a bit older, I'm not sure, but like literally that's all I did was ride b m x like everything every experience I had in my life, I can directly relate back to course of b m x like I traveled the world because of it the vast majority of people I know are because of it um yeah, so that was pretty huge influence on my life, and then, when I was on a surf trip in Mexico. All my money got electronically stolen out of my bank, um, which I didn't realize, obviously, until I went to get money. I was like, what the fuck's going on? Um, so then I was geographically the closest person I knew was a friend in Austin. Um, he owns a BMX company, terrible one. So I bought a mountain bike and rode to his house from Mexico City.
0: How far is that? Don't know. Mexico City? A couple City of no. a thousand miles or something? A thousand Texas? miles? I don't know. Yeah. It's a ways.
3: It wasn't a day long ride, (laughs) it took a while. Like by the time I got to the border, I was like, there's no way they're letting me in because I looked like a train wreck. But um, yeah, anyhow, then I I, um, got to his place and I was like, that was pretty fun. I didn't know bike touring was a thing. I knew nothing about big bikes. Like I was like, when I was on my BMX and saw roadies go by, I just thought they were the biggest dorks. I was like, look at their shaved legs and their Lycra and all that crap. Um, And then you'd chase them as well. And you'd be like, why are you even on that bike? I keep up with you on BMX. Like, not realizing that they've just ridden probably 100 miles. (laughs) And I kept up with them for three blocks. I'm like, these bikes are ridiculous. (laughs) But anyhow, then I got to Austin and my friend there, there was another friend from Spain. And he was like, oh, my friend in Spain's really into bike touring, I was like, bike what? Like I just thought it was something people did because I had no money. And that was the cheapest form of transport. And then um, another friend in Austin, Logan, he worked at a a bike shop there and they, um, together they all like basically convinced me that the bike I was on was garbage. And they got me a real touring bike um, because I enjoyed it. And then I went up to Nova Scotia and kept riding. Um, Yeah, and that was basically it. And I just kept like traveling on my Mm -hmm. bike.
0: And when you say B- you did BMX, like, were you racing or were you just, it was just like, you know, what you did and, 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 and that was sort of motivation to travel to.
3: Yeah, it was like skate parks and, um, like street and dirt jumps and stuff. Um, yeah. 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 I wasn't like a professional BMX or anything.
0: And then how'd you end up in the States?
3: Yeah. I ended up in the States, of course, of BMX, basically. Um, I'd come here to visit friends and stuff. And then, um, when I started Crossed, I knew I wouldn't take off in Australia because you know, like everything's pretty understated there. and There's a tiny population and so on. Um, so I thought I'd just try started start it over here. And then one of my friends owns a bike shop in New Jersey and he let me store everything there. And um, like, he helped me a bunch with stuff as well. like. Um, Because I was like just still a straight up BMX. I didn't really know anything. I just knew the aesthetic I wanted in a bike. And like what I wanted it to do. But I didn't know all the different standards and stuff. I knew nothing. It was pretty crazy.
0: (laughs) And so how do you go from like discovering what... First of all, just like discovering that there's this whole realm of cycling that exists that despite being a cyclist for your whole life, hadn't actually realized was there. How do you go from discovering that to then being like not only have i just found this and it's cool i'm gonna i'm gonna create a version of bike that fits this world um and make that my living like how do you take that leap
3: (laughs) well i guess it wasn't like overnight so i did a lot of bike touring on the the original bike that i had gotten um it's funny though because the original bike i got i still was like in such a bmx mentality i like chopped the front brake posts off because i was like i need a front brake so I chopped the front brake post off and read just a back brake just cause that's how my BMXs always were. Um, uh, but yeah, so then I like rode like a, a bunch of places. Like I rode, um, I rode across Canada and down like the, that, that classic number one round in the U S and through Mexico again. And, um, and then when I was on a trip in, um, Nepal with my friend, I had this bike that I'd modified to take some bigger tires and stuff. Um, And we'll ride in nepal for a couple of months so there's like a lot of climbing obviously in nepal (laughs) because it's all mountains um so when you're just climbing for that long i guess you're like pretty bored and just thinking about like your bike and stuff and what you'd want it to be or whatever and then when i was in nepal i um decided i was going to start a bike company (laughs) and then so i i basically did like when i was in nepal with my ipod touch i um (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you do with the iPod touch? Well, iPod touch, put it on shuffle. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So I had a friend in um, California who I had uh, met when I was bike touring and he, he's a frame builder. So I just like sent him like the ideas I had um, and then he drew up a frame and then um, the guy that I was bike touring with at the time, he knew – of someone that was in the bike industry um, and then they connected us with like a trading partner in Taiwan. And then, yeah, I just sent those drawings to Taiwan and then by the time I got back from Nepal, like, I got a bikes in Taiwan getting made sample. Really? Yeah. Which is pretty crazy. Cause it's so crazy. You just send, like I hadn't met anyone. I've done none, none of this kind of thing before. And I'm just sending like, copious amounts of money to somebody in Taiwan. I'm like, is this just a scam? You, know, you, have, no, you have no idea. But then miraculously, um, two frames showed up in Australia.
0: And what were those first frames? Like what, you know, after your experience of doing a ton of touring, like what were you like, hang on this, there's, there's all these features that are missing from a bike or, you know, your sort of version of a bike wasn't being satisfied in the market. what, 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 what was missing?
3: So it was basically just a. Um, I guess it's just like a like what is now called a gravel bike. Um, it was basically that, but with like a larger volume, so like larger volume tire. So the original bike I designed was the evasion model. So that's based around a twenty-six inch tire, but three inches wide. So it was like a road. It was like a, more of a, like an old traditional road bike like triangle so the triangle was still big so you could fit a frame bag in there and stuff like that um and that's just the aesthetic i like as well um that none of that really existed back then because you either had road cyclocross i guess had existed and then like that monster cross thing that everyone was um calling it but it still hadn't really got into a large volume tire until you were in mountain bikes and then all the bikes that we're trying to bridge the gap. We're using suspension, corrected forks and stuff, which makes the triangle small and just kind of ruins the geometry and aesthetic of the bike and loses a lot of function by doing that. So, yeah, I was just basically just combining a bunch of different aspects into one bike, which at the time, I didn't think anyone else would want it. (laughs) But I also kind of thought, well, maybe I'm not that unique. Like we're not that unique. Maybe there's 50 other people that might want this or something, and so I just yeah, just went for it, and people did like it.
0: And when was that?
3: That was about six years ago.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. 2014.
0: <clears throat> yeah. yeah, And where did the crust, like, where did you, the name crust, come from?
3: That just came from. I listened to a lot of crust punk, <laughs> so it came from that. But then it also came from like the Australian like slang of just trying to earn a crust. You know, so it was kind of like a, a couple of things. Um, it was mostly due to like, like just trying to earn a crust because I didn't want to do plumbing anymore I was a plumber. So I was like always thinking like, how am know going to like make a crust and not do this shit? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, I guess this is how you do it. Um, so then, so when you guys met, how many years ago?
2: In 2015 is when he had his samples of the evasion because that was the summer before we met. Mm-hmm. And he was having them the logos or the decals hand painted by a friend, and then that next summer in two thousand and sixteen is when we met in New Jersey, and really, all of that stock was being delivered and stored at Belmar Bike Shop at the very beginning. Yeah,
0: now you two both run the business together it's It's Cheech and Matt is uh, the face across. How did you decide, Cheech or like how did that process go where you were sort of i guess watching Matt? Do this thing, and you're like, Hang on a second, we need to you yeah know.
2: that it's so I grew up with a dad who owned his own business and then watching Matt own his own business and it's it's a it's a lot of work, and you don't really especially when you're developing a product um it's a lot different, and it's like having a child or like a giving birth to something and It's an immense amount of work, but really when I started helping out and saw that I could be of some help was when Matt broke his ankle and, you know, he had been doing everything on his own for, like, those first two years. And everything, I mean, the shipping, running the Instagram, designing, staying up till, like, 4 a.m., talking to Taiwan about new designs, everything he was doing. And then when he had to stop because he physically wasn't able to do these things anymore um i had to step in and crust luckily has been growing and there are more aspects to a business than just that now like you know there's bookkeeping um we have an accountant now which is pretty new um just hired a financial consultant i take care of the dealers um and we have an employee now who like helps us with the shipping and the custom builds. So um, yeah, we've been slowly growing and as you slowly grow, there are more there's more and more that you need to do. So um, basically anything that anyone needs or has a problem with, I try and help them find a solution to the logistics of things, I guess.
0: And I mean, obviously, like Crust, definitely a non-traditional brand in the first place, right? But um, I'm wondering how it's been, f- how it was for you, like you coming into this world um, of, of cycling and I'm just interested to to see your take because, you know, I've grown up riding bikes um, for, for 20 years, it's been my life. And even I can recognize, even even when I first came into it, I was like, man, this world hasn't changed since like the 70s. And then even now I look at it and you just like... There's such a disconnect, I feel like, with with the world of cycling and then like the rest of the world.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I only really got into it like maybe like two or three years ago. So, Um, yeah, I think there is like quite a bit of disconnect from like the cycling world to what's happening with the rest of the world. And I think what's happened so far this year in 2020 with... um, you know, the police brutality and the killings of, you know, the Black community um, has kind of like bridging that gap between what's really going on in this world and what's happening in the cycling community. Um, But I was really lucky to always have, um, I'm sure you know, a Benedict Noms. So um, Nams immediately took me in under her wing, like, as soon as I started dating Matt. I think it's just because we're both really small brown people. <laughs> 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 and there's kind of, like, this kind of, like, sisterly bond between us now. And, um, and she has made all these connections with other women of color and, you know, started WTF Bike Explorers. So I've kind of, like kept myself in that little world where like, I really like my cycling friends are people of color, but then also from, you know, Matt's BMX background and now like getting into big bikes, like, you know, I spend a lot of time with a lot of white men and, um, but yeah, I think, I think that everything that's been happening though has really, kind of bridge both of those worlds for me where like I have like my women of color that I get along with and we ride bikes or talk about bikes or our interest is bikes. And then, you know, the, come like crust, you know, which is also owned by Matt, who's a white man. We have Garrett who's working with us as a white man. And then, you know, having these conversations about race and everything. So, um, I think I've come into the cycling world at a great time, <laughs> a time where I feel like I have a voice and some kind of validation and um, where representation matters. And I've definitely didn't want to be the face of crust, um, but I think that it's important because um, I really didn't want to get into cycling because it looked really white male dominated and that was really uncomfortable for me. And Um, it looked like you needed to have the right bike and you needed to wear the lycra and all of that and um, I hope that people can see me you know someone who's 4'10 not in a kit I am riding a nice bike though (laughs) (laughs) and you know want to try something outside of their comfort zone you know
0: absolutely and 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 I think the bike is obviously a really unique tool for a number of reasons i mean matt just your experience riding from mexico city up to austin kind of put you on this trajectory that changed your whole perspective right um i'm interested to hear from 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 you guys like knowing what's going on in the world right now knowing what the bike can do how like i'm wondering where you see the bike fitting into um, contemporary society and and what you see its ability to do, whether that's link people together or or you know open up a world that, that that people don't know that people don't realize is right there.
2: That's I I feel like when I think about the bike and like what it does for people, um, when we look at the bike recreationally, um, it is something that seems like out of reach just because of the cost and stuff to like groups of color. But then when I look at the world as a whole, um, the bike is used by, like if you go to South America, everyone's on a bike because you can't afford, you can't afford a car, you know? And um, I'm sure it's the same thing in Asia and other countries like that. Um, So it's how do we get here in the US people of color who don't have the resources or the money, bicycles, Um, you know, how how do we make that happen? Um, And really, as a small company, like, we don't have the money, or really, to give, like, I would love to give people in our neighborhood bikes and get them mobile, you know, but, um, you know, as just a small company, I think our responsibility could be in the representation, it could be in providing a comfortable space, like, here at our warehouse, at our storefront, um, in our social media presence, um, just just what we can do now. Um, I'm hoping that the bigger brands will take more responsibility, like, since they have the money to do so. And, um, you know, do, like, the big picture things that I would – I would like to see these bigger companies do to reach out to communities that should be on bikes and get them on bikes.
0: And I think it is worth noting now as well that you guys do do quite a bit um, for a number of a number of different causes. You guys raised, I think it was like eighty k last year. I know you've raised a similar amount of money this year through charitable events and that sort of stuff. So that you, I mean, you're definitely doing as a small company significantly more than than a lot of the big companies are doing. Um, so. Yeah, you. I, I think there is is a change coming, and and I do want to know as well. Like, um, Cr- how has crust been viewed by these bigger cycling companies? How has it been received by the the cycling community? From being someone small to a, a brand that's now has quite a quite a presence in this world.
3: Um, I have no idea, to be honest. <laughs> I'm pretty removed from the, like I'm obviously part of an industry, but I have no idea what's going on in the industry. You'd probably know more than me for sure <laughs> I like I'm shocked when companies like if I'm writing to someone <clears throat> like emailing a different company trying to get like components or whatever mm. I'm still shocked when they've even heard of crust, so um there's just so many companies out there now, but yeah, we're just a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. I think um I think some of what we've done' definitely influenced. Um, the industry like I think the wide drop bars I'm sure it was probably coming anyway you know but so it's hard to say like I don't know that if we didn't do that wide drop bar with Benedict I'm sure it still would have happened Um, same with like the evasion I think that was pretty like uh, ahead of its time kind of but again like I'm sure that would have happened it just happens incrementally generally speaking Mm. whereas with my designs, I just tend to push it to its absolute extreme first and then tone it back because I find that's a far easier gauge of where you want things to be. If you just change things incrementally in design, it just takes forever. So why not just go to the like absolute what you perceive as the limits first and then take it from there? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what the industry thinks of crust. I don't really care. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Exactly, exactly. And and okay, so that's, you know, the, the, the wide drop bars are a perfect example. Like, you know, you don't really pay attention to what's going on in, in the cycling world. you very much, you know, it's very much a unique, you, you like your approach to the way that, that you guys do things at Crust at is very unique, obviously. Um, where do you pull from? Where do you get ideas for like wide handlebars or like, you know, just like all the stuff that you guys are putting out, whether it's the cargo fork or like, you know, um, these, these road bikes that fit three inch tires. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> to be honest, it, as crazy as it sounds. Cause of course I didn't have a big bike background at all. Um, and it was just literally, like I said, it was just all BMX stuff. Um, I kind of like, my designs are based around surfboards. <laughs> 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 like my theories anyway, not like the actual angles of bikes and so on, but <laughs> But because I've like surfed my whole life, like like in the '90s when Kelly Slater was super popular, everyone was surfing these super like foiled down boards with no foam and really high rocker, and the average surfer like it ru- like it ruined the average surfer surfing. And and I was surfing old kneeboards because my cousin was like a um like a, he wrote surfed boards uh, kneeboards professionally, so I just get his old boards, and they were super wide and thick. And like the laughing stock really, but I was getting waves so much easier than everyone else. And like, they maintained speed so much better. And even though I was a worse surfer than the majority of people in the water, I was having more fun and they were like enhancing my surfing. So when I started to like look at bike design and like everyone's on like 23 millimeter tires pumped up to 110 PSI, I'm like, well, this is great if you're trying to be a tour pro, but if you're just trying to have fun and like even if you care about marginal gains, it's still slowing you down. <laughs> so I was like, if it were if it's the same for surfing, then I'm right. So I just did what what I thought with no like actual like um proof to stand by. <laughs> it was just a gut thing, you know, just because what I'd seen like in like my other passion, and I think it was right and now with road bikes you see they are moving to like 32 millimeter tires and stuff obviously like you're not gonna put a three inch tire on a road bike but um yeah like it just has to have something to do with like the everyday person like why care about 200 grams on your bike when your body is like you know like 20 kilos overweight maybe like if you make that bike more comfortable for you you're going to be faster you can't look at what like you know who, whoever the top pro is at the time, and and re- directly put that back to you like i can't look at your like your brother for example and be like yeah. well, i'm gonna go everesting on this bike and it's gonna get me there it's like it's not because i'm gonna be so uncomfortable and that's gonna take me probably 15 hours or 20 hours to do an everesting i just want to be comfortable like it's gonna suck regardless but the chances are the less fatigue that the bike's putting on my body the the faster the end result's gonna be even if you're like not that like any of the bikes that I do are really concerned with speed that much, but um, yeah, I just think like why not make it a more comfortable, enjoyable experience. Basically,
0: it's funny you mentioned Lockie there. The same day Lockie um, did the the Everesting record, I for a brief moment contemplated going at the same time, but on my crust because <laughs> I was like, I was like, to your point exactly. Like it's been quite a few years since I've turned a pedal in anger. And um, and, I, and like, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to need something. I got like a frame bag where I can put my stuff in it, like maybe post up for the night. Um, so, yeah, it is funny you should say that. Right, yeah. So, like, is there any, like, that's a really interesting thing pulling from another sport. I think a lot of what's going on in the adventure side of cycling pulls from surf culture um and and like that counterculture that was in in surf what else are you doing now on, with bikes like where do you see your bikes going next
3: unfortunately i guess for christ i'm a really bad businessman so i don't really care <laughs> what, <laughs> what the market's doing it's always been about what i want or what cheech wants or now we have gary working for us if he wants a bike like design basically just what we want and um i guess now because i don't have the time to go bike touring anymore so my what I want personally in a bike is drastically changing. Um, so uh, like, like flex of certain materials really interests me right now. Um, Cause again, it comes back to like surfing, like my friend on the South coast, Michael Mackey, he's like being a huge influence in design. I'd say he makes mm-hmm. just insane surfboards that no one else in the world's really doing anything like them. And they're like, like they've got crazy flex tails, um, and just like the the projection that those tails can give you in certain moments, like on a on a wave, because they're it's just feelings you're chasing, right? Like if you're not trying to win a race, or you're not like chasing marginal gains, then it's something that's a lot harder to quantify because you can't quantify because it's a feeling. It's different for every single person. So for me. Uh, just feeling different flex properties out of like different gauge tubing, different diameter tubings and stuff like that. That's what is really interesting me at the moment. Um, so I've just been yeah, experimenting a lot with different kind of tubings and stuff on sample frames. And it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. I'm enjoying that a lot at the moment.
0: And there's something you said that's really interesting is the feeling, like the feeling of riding a bike, the feeling you get. And, um, and for me, that feeling's changed a lot and in, in, in what I mean by that is, like, for me, bike riding, I've said this a hundred times, like, it was about racing. And if you weren't racing, you were training, right? You're always moving towards this. And the only feeling, like, the only really positive feeling I associated with riding was, like, when you won, when you got this end result. And so it was everything you were doing towards that. I'm interested to hear, like, what feeling do you guys, do you get from riding a bike? Like, what, what does it give you? And, and I guess, you know... You spoke a little bit about aesthetic, like the look of a bike. Like I've become really interested in bikes in only recently because there's all these things that matter that now my ride is about, having a good feeling, going out and enjoying it. Like I can take my bike for a spin for 40 minutes and that be fun, whereas it never could be before. I'm interested to hear like your perspective on that.
2: Um, I actually just had my first bike orgasm at the beginning of June um after everything it felt like the world was crumbling and we're really lucky like Richmond has really nice riding and like some really nice um road riding where a lot of cars aren't so I hit up the usual way that I take and I just let like all my emotions go on that day and I like found myself like crying and then as soon as like I realized I was crying. I was already going down and like I had felt like, you know, like the wind is in your hair and you're going like 25 miles per hour down this curve. And it just like doesn't you don't get that feeling anywhere else. I haven't experienced that feeling on anything else. Um, So and now I'm like kind of hooked. Like I try to ride every other day in the morning trying to beat the heat. And it's it like really sets my day like my day will go so much better if i ride i just feel much more accomplished and i'm in a better mental place um but yeah
3: yeah yeah i think the mental benefits from it are just uh there i guess kind of not i guess it's spoken about quite a bit now um because so many of us suffer from depression or anxiety and stuff so like for me surfing was always my outlet but now that we Mm. we're landlocked i don't have that So I think cycling does the same thing though. It's like, it's, uh, I've just been really enjoying, like, uh, just going out riding and I've never really been one to go on rides without destination. So I've had to really adapt to that. Um, but yeah, it's been really good. Just, I've been going out, I guess, and riding harder than I normally would and actually trying to like, um, push myself. And that, I think that's been really good for me mentally because it's like, it's basically a very simple form of meditation when you're like just breathing so hard that's all you are really focusing on is your breath and that is the essence of meditation which I can't do if I'm just sitting down and like crossing my legs um, so that's been really good for me and um it's just also been interesting because I've like fully trying to be turning myself into a roadie to see what it's all about <laughs> <laughs> so- i've done like a full like a full loop basically like um yeah i've got like a freaking what are those things called i got one of those Wahoos, wahoo things yeah. on my bike Ooh, damn a, damn power meter They're pretty shit. Cool. i'm looking at watts i'm talking to patrick about are you about your little FTPs? yeah you got your so, little heart-
0: dude i never thought i never thought i would hear you say that
3: yeah i just been a mega nerd <laughs>
0: Does, does this mean that there is a uh, a crust road bike on the way
3: well I made we, we made one for my brother it was the Epo yeah. and, we
0: were, yeah. <laughs> and,
3: and I've got one of those as well so we'll we'll probably go into production of that sometime this year yeah I'm just trying to figure out what uh where I want to take it and so on yeah but it's pretty interesting like doing the pseudoscience with different tires and stuff and seeing like how much like a 38 slows you down compared to a 28 like looking at all that stuff on the computer i mean obviously it's not 100 accurate because every day is different right. but yeah even if you're looking like not that any of it matters but yeah it's kind of funny like for me someone who's not very in shape like yes yeah, the 38 tires are faster
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know i know it's interesting that like the actual science is going a little bit in that direction too you said something really interesting there because i think I mean a lot of sports are like this um but cycling in particular Cheech you mentioned it earlier like you need to have the right bike you need to have the helmet the clothes right all this sort of stuff um in order to to fit in Matt you don't fit in like Cheech like this brand doesn't fit in with that with that which is great like it doesn't fit in with that um and 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 it's it's introduced a whole new world to to the sport of cycle or to riding a bike I think but there's something really interesting in now you like you're pursuing or you're you know you're getting out there and you're training right you've got a power meter and you're doing all this sort of stuff and and I don't think a lot of people would expect that um I'm just like it's interesting like it's all the same right like it's still riding a bike I'm I'm interested to just hear about your your experience there and what what interests you about exploring that
3: um I guess just cause of the lockdown and stuff. So I would normally mm-hmm. go on like bike tours. Mm-hmm. So um, like what we did with you last year, or whenever it We'd was. be in Europe like, right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, and then also not like having the ocean, I was like, I have to find something to do, otherwise I'm just gonna completely lose my mind. So basically it was just like, um, cause if you just go ride the same road every day at a, at a leisurely pace, mm. At least for me it, it's pretty boring, um so if I ride in the road um at a pace that's exerting my energy um it just it brought just a new interest to it, I guess um and then also, like all those theories I've always had in my mind that were just like irrelevant theories they really, like just ideas. It's kind of interesting to put them into play now right. So, Um, I'm basically bankrupting myself trying to do it (laughs) (laughs) because all that stuff's so expensive (laughs) and I'm just buying other brands, carbon bikes and shit. (laughs) So it's like, I'm pretty um, obsessive with things. (laughs) But um, it's super interesting though. Like as a sport, I think, like I have no real knowledge of cycling as a sport, but from a complete outsider looking in at the sport, I think it would be far more interesting if, you weren't allowed to use like these head use mm. and stuff in a race and the race was more like based on feeling because now it's just basically pure science you know mm. like right. they all know exactly when to hit and so on so i think like from a spectator point of view that maybe makes it a little bit more boring um but obviously like those athletes are so in tune with their body so you gotta know anyway
0: well that's it it's past the point now i've had this like i've had this discussion so many times with people and they're like let's remove the power meters and they're talking about doing it. i'm like man that was 10 years ago like you should like like everyone knows how their body is now like because you can't be constantly looking at it so you have to be in tune enough you just have to know anyway so like you're exactly right the sp- i mean from just from a purely like entertainment side of things the racing world needs to change um i mean i mean I, th- I feel like there just needs to be a new version of the sport that we can that we can watch if i'm honest um but i do have a question actually like so we we just recently joined the, we'll sign the WTF pledge, Isaac and I, at, at thereabouts, and we certainly have a long way to go. But we've worked with Sarah for quite a while, and in and, and, and examining, I guess, this whole situation for us, like, um, has made the diversity conversation much more prevalent. I think, like, it's always been that that case, and like, I've, we've recognised cycling has always been that way, and we've sort of incre- incrementally tried to do it, but certainly not in in enough of a way i'm interested um like what changes do you feel need to take place in this world um in the world of cyclingly both inwardly um and then also outwardly like with with the way that the sport represents itself and and showcases itself
2: whoa so basically judge everyone and tell them what they should be doing better um
0: (laughs) no i don't i mean i mean just like as as a sport right like the way that I mean, you said it. You said it again. Going back to like the way that it's viewed or perceived, um, you know, is very important because there's a whole a whole world of people, a whole a whole group of people that either are too afraid to engage in it because of, be that, um, financial barriers, too engaged, too, too, um, put off to engage with it because you know they don't they don't recognize anyone in the sport that is like them. Um, and I'm just you know knowing that you guys are doing things differently and and and. Um, are pretty outspoken in 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 you know advocating for diversity in sport. I'm just interested to hear because I think honestly I do think it's a really important thing that we need to speak about more in cycling and continue this conversation.
2: Mm-hmm. I think um, also what is what's different about us besides being a tiny company. Cause right when you're a tiny company, it's easier. You don't have to have like these meetings on inclusivity and like, what is going to be our next marketing plan to make mm. people like feel like they belong within our brand. Um, so, and also the fact that I am a woman of color. So these conversations Matt and I have been having because it is a part of our relationship. So um, I think he, like I think companies, people need to be hiring, you know, people of color who are professionals in consulting about how to bring in communities of color into their brand, into their marketing, into all of that. Um, I'm not too knowledgeable about how how to do that. I only work on instinct. I can only you know, talk about my experiences and how they've made me feel and how I want, how I don't want other people to feel that way. So that's why I want people to know that um, Crust is, you know, for everyone in some way. I mean, obviously, Price Point is a thing. We are a small business. But, um, yeah, I think, like I said earlier, I think the bigger companies, they have that money. And that money can help people who need to get on bikes, you know? So... And then, you know, representation, interviewing and, you know, putting the spotlight on people of color who have different experiences is also very important. Um, it just broadens the perspective um, mm-hmm. because I think we're so, you know, we're just seeing only one story. And I think it's important to share more stories.
0: Absolutely. And, and speaking of sharing stories, you guys, along with Ronnie and Nams, um, just signed Leo. What's the plan with, with Leo and, and, you know, um, what motivated you to kind of get behind someone who's trying to, I mean, I presume he's still trying to go to the, the Paralympic Games, although I haven't spoken to him since they, the Games got delayed.
3: Yeah. So, Bowen, um, Ron started the, the Brooks team thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: That's uh, how I first met Leo. Uh, and from there, like, both Ron and I were like, oh, Leo's gotta be getting picked up by like a big company. Now we were like, we both wanted to obviously for Leo to ride for cross, but I'm like, I'm not going to just give him a bike and be like, you ride for us now. Cause that's kind of bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I was like, it's like someone's going to offer him money soon. And we like a year passed and still nothing. Um, and then Ron and I were just both like, 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 fuck it. Let's just like, you know, give him what we can. Um, so, yeah, we did, um, which is super cool. Because, like, yeah, regardless, like, Leo's, like, he's got that BMX mentality, like, which is what drew me to him. Um, so I was, like, super, like, just really psyched on that because he's always, like, he, like, he knows what he wants to ride, like, what kind mm. of bike and stuff. And um. so, yeah, like, for me, it was, like, I don't want to just sponsor someone that's like, for one, because we're so small. Like, if I'm like if we're sponsoring someone, that's money, Cheech, and I don't have. Mm-hmm. It's not like we have a budget, you know. <laughs> so having a board yeah, meeting, yeah, we don't have <laughs> yeah. budget. Yeah, we don't have a marketing budget or whatever. So if we're like um, giving someone money, that's money basically straight out of our pocket that we can't go on trips ourselves with or whatever. So there's got to be really someone who likes the bikes for me. Like if, if it's not a bike that you would buy yourself, like I'm not interested in you being on grass just for like uh for marketing or whatever. It's kinda it seems like horseshit. But Leo loved grass, so it was like perfect. Um yeah, and that's it that's kinda how it went. It was basically like Ron, he's the
0: manager. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yes. He just phones me up and tells me his ideas and I'm just like, that sounds good. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Ronnie has a way. Ronnie has a (laughs) way.
3: Yeah, silver tongue Ron.
0: What's next for for Crust? What's next for the brand? What's next for you two? You know, what's on the horizon? Uh, What
2: what What did I say? Um, Yeah, I don't know. There's like so many different things that we want to do. Um... We have our employee now, which, and he's amazing. We were, we really lucked out. So the possibilities seem endless. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I I don't know. It's like hard to think about the future with what's happening with mm. COVID um, because I don't know where the economy is going to go. I don't know if we'll get to travel again freely because realistically I would love for us to be doing like, bike tours and traveling and visiting family in Australia but um and that also goes in hand with what would happen across you know um so I'm not I'm not too sure we're just take it day by day and we're not like you know we're just we have just enough manpower to keep it afloat as it is right now and just keep slowly growing and We're lucky to have customers who always come back and support us. Um, But yeah, we don't, Mm. there's nothing too, nothing too that we want to talk about really yet, but day by day.
3: Yeah. There's like a bunch of new frames in the works and stuff like that. Just the standard stuff. Yeah.
2: um,
3: Yeah. um, We we never really have a game plan, you Mm. know, so it just is what it is. It doesn't yeah
2: we're just kind of surprised that it's like been this long too, yeah. you know? like, <laughs> like it's it's really we still have money to order the next round of frames okay that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah it's pretty crazy because like that when i broke my ankle that was really a turning point in crust aside from like cheech coming to work full time at crust like when i um i was on my bmx at the time and before i'd even stopped sliding from the crash my friend told me that i was yelling out Fucking crust is dead, like because just because I knew I didn't have insurance, I didn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't a permanent resident at the time. Um, and then them set up a GoFundMe, and basically, like, uh, our customers saved crust, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, GoFundMe right, me just raised enough money for my medical bills, like, in two days or something, yeah, like, it, was, it, was... it was insane, yeah.
2: And then also like our customers, like you mentioned earlier, like all the money that we've raised, like we raised rep, rep, about eighty grand last year in like different charities and GoFundMe GoFundMe. But that has been like our customers. Like we all we do is like raffle off a frame and they really, you know, they circulate the post, you know, they're the ones that are donating. So it like the crust customers are amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. now it's like yeah, it feels like this strange, like weird family thing because we've met so many of them as yeah. well, and mm. that's really the main reason why. It's that's the only reason it's still going, because um, it kind of sucks running a bike company. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, when it gets when it gets like too shitty, then we'll just close it down. I guess. Yeah, but, when we're over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but there's no, there's no great like big deal, but. Yeah. I I I just want would like to like add that like a lot of people email me asking like if we do like payment plans and stuff like that and I think like if they want to take this bike on a tour or whatever and I think it's the most important thing is just to know like you don't need to buy a nine hundred dollar frame off us like if you don't have enough money like cash to buy that frame don't buy it don't don't get a loan to buy a bike that's absurd mm. get on Craigslist buy a bike for two hundred bucks and use that money for a trip like that trip is more important than the bike like like it's not about the bike like the bike obviously if you have the money it's nicer and it's cool having like a bike that you really dig and stuff but at the end of the day it's the experiences that matter not the not the bike so yeah just don't get caught up in the hype just buy any bike you can use and go have a good trip on it like you can strap like you can strap a, a bucket to a a penny a rack, you know, and you're good to go. You don't have to buy all this stuff. Like, right? if you don't have the money for it, don't let that stop. You can, you can have a good time regardless.
0: Well, Matt, you definitely are a terrible businessman, but with, but between both you and Cheech, you are a very valuable member of the cycling community, and I think that your message and and also the work that you're doing um, is very important. And so, you guys have got to, you know keep it up and, and I mean I certainly really appreciate what you guys have done through your brand even before I met you um, the, the gears started turning and, and the way that I looked at the bike started shifting and so yeah here we are now sitting down with each other having a chat and it's, it's, uh, it's great so I appreciate your time and that's
1: it for another episode of Outspoken if you enjoyed the show please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify And we have a bunch of exciting episodes in the queue um, that we're going to be releasing on the regular.
0: That's right, Isaac. We do have some exciting uh, announcements coming up, some exciting things coming down the pipeline as well. But for now, if you haven't, head on over to Rome Media. They just released Isaac and I's most recent film, Sometime Thereafter, which is a short film about the subjectivity of experience and the non-linear ways we interpret it sometime thereafter. It's the first in a series of poetic shorts that explore the way we individually interpret experience and the lasting impact it has. You can catch that over at roammedia.com, R-O-A-M, media.com, uh, as well as the accompanying podcast special that we did right here on the outspoken feed in fact i think it's the last episode that we did or maybe the one before that whatever you'll figure it out reporting from the rocky mountains i'm angus morton
1: and i'm isaac carson reporting from the pacific northwest I don't know if I told you this story, guys, but um, <laughs> I mean I, I did for this film project, and then I posted on Instagram. I was at the protest the same night that guy got hit in the head. I don't, Matt, I, I can't remember if I told you the story, and my mom called me. Oh yeah. The next morning, just the most mad I've ever made her, and it was like a thirty-minute. Wow. So you know, Gus, I am ling it on the on the line. So, uh, <laughs> so much so that. My mom. We got a heavy
3: spanking from his
0: mom. <laughs> Naughty boy. Naughty Isaac. Bad boy. boy. <laughs> <laughs> the wooden
3: spoon came
1: out.
0: He broke the wooden spoon. Should have been out the belt.
1: And then I was like, afterwards I'm like, wait, I'm an adult. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> exactly. They're
2: some tough
3: <laughs> fish. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs>